Well, it's good to be back, DJ and I. Uh, we really enjoyed our time away, our camping trip that we got to take. I mean, it's always refreshing to get out in God's good creation, the delighting in the beautiful things that He has made. I mean, as we're traveling along, we just marveled at how many shades of green there are on one hillside. It's just beautiful. And we saw moose and elk and deer and antelope and marmots and other various critters, and, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I got to uh, fish in a gorgeous alpine stream, walking up there from rock to rock and casting for brook trout and rainbows, and it was a lot of fun. And at night, when you're up in the mountain, uh, away from all artificial uh, sources of lights, I mean, the stars are absolutely spectacular. We could see the Milky Way just flowing across the sky. You had uh, uh, Mars, Jupiter, and Venus blazing in the southern sky. One night we even saw the uh, International Space Station zooming by. Even that's cool. And uh, so it was just a lot of fun. It was great. But at the the same time, I'd been looking forward uh, to getting back here and getting behind the pulpit again. We had finished Daniel Uh, just before I left, and I had determined even before uh, we left that I wanted to continue doing uh, another character study, only this time with a female heroine. We're going to do Esther. And like Daniel, Esther was a captive in Babylon. So she was living in this uh, culture that was hostile to the truth about one true God, much like we are today. So there's, you know, a lot of stuff that we can learn from her life as we did from Daniel's. But, but there are a few major differences between them, uh, aside from the male-female thing, right? Daniel was uh, taken captive from Israel and carted off into Babylon. Uh, Esther was born in captivity. In fact, her parents and grandparents, very possibly even her great-grandparents, were born in captivity. Daniel lived under both the Babylonian and then the Medes and Persian Empire when they took over. But by the time uh, Esther was born, Nebuchadnezzar was just this guy you learned about in your history classes. And uh, the the Medes had actually kind of uh, faded from power, and it was really just the, the Persian Empire. In fact, if you, if you want just a basic timeline, if you're the history buff type and like to keep these things in mind, Daniel was taken captive from Israel in 605 B.C. Uh, twice more, the Babylonians came into Israel to squelch little uprisings, and the third time was in 586 B.C. And, and uh, at that time, they were tired of putting up with Israel, so they just wiped out the whole city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took all the people left in the country, took them captive and carted them back uh, to Babylon, except for the very poorest of the poor. They just left there. But that, at the very latest then, uh, Esther's ancestors would have been carted off at 586, possibly one of the earlier times. And they were taken captive. In, in 539, that's when the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon and they took over. And Cyrus the Great, the, the king at that time, he issued the proclamation that the Jews could then return to Israel and rebuild their temple. But by that time, many of the Jews had settled in and were living pretty comfortably in battle, Babylon. Uh, they were captives, but they weren't uh, kept as like slaves. They were allowed to become productive citizens in the country there in the community and uh so you know there were parents grandparents maybe even great 
parents who had been born in, in Babylon. That's all they had known for generations. That was the only home they knew. So many of those Jews elected just to stay. And apparently, that's what was true of Esther's family. And we don't know for sure how old she is when we get introduced to her in this book, but the assumption is that she would have been less than 20 years old, which means that she was born sometime right around 500 B.C. And the events that are recorded in in the book of Esther, they take place between 483 and 473 B.C. So that's like a full 120 years uh, after Daniel was taken captive. So that's, that's the timeline. Uh, Esther was a captive, their family there, but now her, she and her family were staying there by choice. And as you read both the book of Daniel and Esther, there's one other major difference that becomes glaringly evident, especially if you would just read one right after the other. In the name of God and, and the power of God, they're seen all over the book of Daniel. God intervenes in undeniable and miraculous ways, right? He, he gives Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and even revealed a dream to him that someone else had that we wouldn't tell him anything about the dream. God showed that to Daniel. He kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, uh, safe in the, in the fiery furnace, uh, keeping them from being burned up and allowing them to just walk out of the furnace without even being singed. Uh, he, he closed up the mouths of the lions, keeping Daniel uh, safe from a very unjust and unpleasant death in the lion's den. Now, I mean, the hand and the work of God are just very overt overt and in your face in the book of Daniel. But in Esther, you'd never once hear the name of God. I mean, just, just by way of comparison, take the book of Ezra, which, which took place right after Esther in ti- timeline stuff, so it's right, same period. Both books are 10 chapters long, same, same length of book. And in Ezra, you see the name of God translated in our Bibles as God or Lord 135 times. In Esther, zero. Not once. Esther never once refers to the law of Moses or to the religious practices of the Jews. There's no reference to the temple, to sacrifices, to worship, or even to prayer. In in this book, God does not show up in any spectacular miracles. In fact, as far as God is concerned, in the book of Esther, he's rather silent. And yet, for the person who is paying attention, the the fingerprints of God are all over this book. His plan and his purposes are being carried out just as surely in his covert invisibleness as they were in Daniel's overt actions. God was working. Esther shows us God working behind the scenes. And that is often what is referred to, if you want to know the theological term, is referred to as the providence of God. Now, we we believe that God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. And, And we believe that because that's what the Bible teaches. And because that's what makes the most logical sense as you look around the world and because God has proven it, right? An all-powerful creator has authority over creation. 
And therefore, he can suspend or reverse or change the laws uh, of nature that he is the one who set in motion at his will. And of course, we, we've seen God do that over and over again in, in parting the Red Sea, right? So the, the children of Israel could escape from Egypt or uh, causing the sun to stand still so Joshua could defeat the enemies of Israel or making Shadrach and his buddies impervious to the flames, right? Or, or Jesus walking on water or calming the sea with just a word. When God acts outside of the normal laws of nature, that's what is called a miracle. And the Bible records those things for us as reminders that that this is who God is. He can do those things when and if needed according to his plan and for his glory because he is creator. He is Lord over creation and and therefore he can choose when he wants to follow those laws of nature that he put into action and when he doesn't. And, And I've seen that even in my own life. Uh, I've shared this story before, so some of you have heard it. When I was in college, I I spent uh, over two months in Brazil with Campus Crusade for Christ showing the Jesus film uh, as a means of evangelism. And and one day, our particular team of five people, we were in a small village uh, and uh, setting all this equipment up in in this clearing that was right on the edge uh, of the village. And uh, at dusk, practically the entire town had come out to see what they're doing because they're real curious about what's happening and what's going on here. And, and uh, they're all seated in this, this uh, uh, clearing. And before we could show the film, this fast-moving tropical thunderstorm just, just, become, just charging down the, the, the way towards us. And, and you could see this wall of water is raining so heavy, a jungle thunderstorm coming right at us. And of course, all, all the villagers, they quickly deserted the clearing and ran back for their huts and houses in, in the town. And, and we knew there was absolutely no way, no time for us to gather up all this expensive equipment and, and get it uh, back to the van and, and protect it in the van. So the five of us just grabbed hands around the projector and all the rest of the equipment and just began praying. Only uh, I cheated and I was watching the storm while we were praying. And, and I'm looking out there and this storm comes and it hits the edge of our clearing. You can see the wall of water and it stops. Not the storm. The whole storm didn't stop. It kept going past us. And so you could see as it gets to clearing, it starts raining, circling around us. Pretty soon it's raining all the way around us, 360 degrees, but not a drop in the field. The end of the storm approaches you can see it hit the edge of the trees it splits goes around us comes back together and then just keeps going there's no other explanation for that than god god chose to work it's like he put us in a protective bubble he is lord over creation and he can do what he wants and that's called a miracle According to uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Okay, what that, that means is that a miracle cannot have a natural 
ordinary explanation. It can't be something, it's, it's extraordinary, or you put the two words together, extraordinary. That's, you know, it, it can't be an ordinary, normal event. It has to show itself, manifest itself as being from God, like you know, creating a path through the Red Sea uh, of dry land for people to walk through. I mean, that's something that never happens you know, accidentally in nature. You've never been out to the lake and said, oh, look, a dry path through the lake. Let's take this. It doesn't happen. It is only God. It's a miracle. And most of the time, God doesn't suspend the laws of nature that he created. Instead, he very often works through those natural means and through ordinary people and ordinary events to accomplish his purposes. And that is what is known as the providence of God. Providence is, is his guidance, his care, his protection through normal, non-miraculous means. So in Daniel, we, we saw the miracles of God in action. In Esther, we see the providence of God in action. And perhaps that is the main point of the entire book. God is still sovereign, still in charge, and still working even when we don't see anything miraculous happening. See, the, the, the truth is, most of his work in this world happens silently and, and behind the scenes. And, and I believe that's why the author uh, of this particular book didn't use the name of God throughout the book. Uh, he or, or she did that as an illustration of this truth that God's name doesn't have to be out there in the headlines for him to be active and working. So the, the, again, the truth is, in, in our own lives, just as in the Bible, uh, miracles are incredibly rare events. I mean, through the 1,600 years of history that the Bible covers, the, the vast majority of the followers of God through that time lived their whole lives without seeing any miracles. I mean, just take, for example, the, the time of the prophets. If you read the prophets of the Old Testament, that covers several hundred years uh, of history. And other than the very beginning with Elisha and Elijah, through all those hundreds of years, there was hardly any miracles. Those people lived by faith in the word of God just like we do. You know, I've heard preachers ranting and raving on TV about how you can get your miracle today. You know, don't, don't listen to those preachers who claim that you're somehow entitled to a miracle from God. And usually, uh, their claim involves you sending them a whole bunch of money and, and, and then you get your miracle. And you know what? It didn't work that way in the Bible and it doesn't work that way today. And, and part of our problem is we, we, we unfortunately, we use the word miracle way too flippantly and, and, and we've cheapened it to, to these things that are just ordinary events, you know? <laughs> I found my car keys before I'm late for work. It's a miracle, you know? You know, no, unless God caused those keys to, to levitate up out of their hiding place and float there in front of your face, it's not a miracle that you found them. That's the normal, ordinary thing that happens when you're hunting for something frantically, 
right? When you spend enough time and enough energy and look thoroughly enough, you normally find what you're looking for. Now, God's providence may be involved there. He may calm your mind and your spirit enough to let you think clearly about where you might have left your keys or he guided you to look under something that you wouldn't normally have looked under or maybe he caused someone to casually walk into the living room and go, oh, you're looking for your keys? I, I think I saw them on the kitchen counter, right? That, God can do that and that's the providence of, of God working in your life and, and, and you're right to give God thanks uh, for those things just as you uh, are right to praise him for a miracle. And, and it's that providence of God that we're going to see at work in Esther. Now, before we actually get into her story and what all happens as, as we'll move into that next week, we, we want to set uh, make sure we get the setting uh, here, the historical setting. Notice how the book begins. It says, Now, it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 120 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was in the citadel of Susa, and, and it'll go on. That, that's the, uh, that, the first thing the author does is set this specific time and place for us. These events happened during the reign of Ahasuerus. And in case you weren't sure which Ahasuerus it was, it's the guy who reigned over the biggest Persian kingdom there was. You know, India, all this kind of stuff. He's, he's detailing it out. And uh, Cyrus the Great, years before, had conquered Susa. He had actually conquered that before he conquered Babylon and made that the capital of Persia. Now it's some 53 years later, uh, uh, not from when he conquered it, but, f- but from when the Medes and Persians took over the whole earth and, and they had multiple uh, capital cities and Persia was the winter capital and so that's where they were. A- a- and here's the th- thing. The reason why these details are important is it, be- it, it reinforces to us that this is an actual historical event. There is time, a place, and the setting. This is not just a parable or a fictitious story with a, with a moral to it. This is actual verifiable account. In fact, this particular story, the book of Esther ends in chapter 10 by saying, and all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of, his, of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? Now, we're, we're, we'll get into, again, who Mordecai is as we move through this in the next few weeks. But the point is, he is the author is saying, hey, you can check this out. If you don't believe what I'm writing here, there's, there's cross-references. There's other sources where you can see this stuff that happened. Now, unfortunately for us, that's... 2,500 years ago, uh, and, and so, you know, these things have been lost to us in antiquity, right? But at the time of this, right, you wouldn't put this in your book and, uh, for the people that could read it at that time unless they could check it out, unless they could see and cross-reference and, and see these things. This is real life, real people dealing with real conflict and, and problems. And most important for us, of course, real God who makes all the difference. And here's what's so comforting, I think, about that. You have a story, and I have a story. 
And just like Esther's story, our, our stories are anchored in a time and a place and, and a setting. And our time and place is, you know, pretty similar because we're all living. I'm assuming everybody's still alive here. We're all living, uh, you know, near together in the same type of area. Uh, so we have a lot of similarities. But our, in our settings, there'll be similarities in our settings that way as well. But, but there's also uh, differences because my circumstances are, are not the exact same as yours um, even though there'll be a lot of overlap, there's different things going on in your family and in your circumstances than are happening in mine. But through all of this, it is the same God who is active by his providential care in my life and in your life as was active in Esther's life. See, God's providence, it's not necessarily as easy for us to spot as his miracles, right? It, it, miracles, they, they're in your face. They're unmistakable. But as we'll see in Esther's story, God's providence often comes about in the most ordinary of ways. Now, because Esther is inspired, divinely inspired scripture, right? We, we get a glimpse of what goes on behind the scenes. We can see how all the pieces fit together and exactly what God's uh, providential care for his people, how that was working and going out and carried out and all that kind of stuff. In our own lives, we don't always get that luxury. In fact, most of the time we don't. Things happen and we may not know why. We, we may never know why here on earth. Those of you who have Facebook uh, may have noticed that DJ and I's uh, camping trip had a rather eventful beginning to it. I mean, in, in the span of about six hours, we blew two tires on the camper and burned up the brakes going down Wolf Creek Pass. I mean, literally, flames coming out the, the brakes, you know. And, and so all of this was happening. You know, everything that happens to us, God is always in control, and he uses all of those things. But, you know, sometimes we get a flat tire simply because we live in an Im- imperfect world and, and bad things happen. And, and in those things, again, God is at work. He, it can be a test of your character. How are you going to respond? Are you, are you going to react in a way that honors and glorifies God in that situation? God's always going to use everything in your life. But, see, there may be times when that flat tire is part of the providential care and guidance of God. See, because God knows the future and all things, he may purposely give you a flat tire to keep you from being on the road at a certain time in a certain place because he knows there would be some reckless driver there who would bash into you causing this major accident. He may be saving your life through that flat tire and guess what? You'll never know it. You, you, will, you will never know it. But that's how the providence of God works. If you want, a, again, a theological definition, I got this from, the, from a book in my office called The Summary of Christian Doctrine. It says this, Providence is the work of God in which he preserves all his creatures, is active in all that happens in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. So his providence is not just about people. It's about the whole world. Although, you know, God does make it clear in Scripture that his number one priority uh, is 
people, is his people. And, and so uh, you, you can find the providence of God, examples of it all throughout Scripture, but also verses that talk about it. One such would be Colossians 1.17, where it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's God who is providing this care for his creation. That verse is speaking specifically about his creation in the physical world. Uh, atoms, you know, by their nature, they all want to fly apart. Um, they're, 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 they're pushing away uh, from each other. And uh, uh, it takes tremendous, tremendous energy to hold them together. And with modern advancements in, in equipment, scientists are beginning to recognize, you know, some of the mechanisms that are at work holding these atoms and molecules together and all that kind of stuff. But they have no clue where all that energy comes from. The Bible tells us it's God. God's holding things together. But, but God's not just holding this physical world together. It's His power, His grace, that our lives are held together emotionally, relationally, spiritually. I mean, have you ever felt, you don't have to raise your hand here, have you ever felt like, like your world was falling apart? The Bible wants you to know that God is there to hold it together. And we're going to see that multiple times as we go through the book of Esther. When you feel betrayed, deeply wounded, God is there for you. When you're confused and scared because you don't know what to do, God is there for you. When you're hurting, tired, weary from the battle of life, God is there for you. And often, most often, the way he meets your need is not through some miracle, but rather through ordinary people doing ordinary things in faithfulness to God. And sometimes it's so ordinary that we might miss the fact that this is God. This is God at work. But as we study Esther, hopefully it'll help us recognize that providence of God, that undercover work of God that's always going on in your life. It's always there. And he's always at work. That's what Esther's about. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your powerful hand that is seen in mighty miracles. But God, we are ever so grateful for your powerful hand that is so often unseen in your providential care. So give us eyes to see, God, your work. Help us to know that you are there holding all things together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.